Hey there, I'm Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast. Nearly a month, if I had checked the records, and that's because Norlander became a father for the second time. He's been on paternity leave, paternity leave but he's back now. Had another baby boy. He did not name the baby Joe Mad Norlander. And that's good, considering uh, that dismal uh, performance from the Cubs uh, over the past couple of days. Norlander, how you been? How's the baby? Little Khalil Mack Norlander is uh, is doing fine. It is not actually Khalil Mack, but I was I I'm damn tempted to try and make a name change after uh, my Chicago Bears are three and zero since my son Alex was born. We're doing great. Great to be back on the podcast. Shout out to the listeners for your patience. We appreciate that. We'll be back on a weekly schedule here, and then when the season gets going, we'll go back to three times a week. But things at home are. Busy and interesting, um, but I'm, I'm making out just fine. And yes, it was it was a boy. So there we go. I was at about I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or not, Parish. But by the time we got to uh, the moment of truth, I was at about eighty to eighty three percent that we were going to have a boy. And the reason that was was I, my wife was unintentionally tipping her hand. So the small part of me thought, okay, unless she's playing this so sly. So I was ready for the doctor. You know, my my wife ended up having a C-section at like you know six fifty in the morning, and uh, she's like, "All right, here here it is. You have a." And I was like, oh, "This is gonna be." A. Last second, I was like, "This is gonna be a girl." And I was so ready for a girl and so eager for one. But we got a boy, which is awesome. So uh, I'm the oldest of four boys. Now I have two sons. The Norlander male gene is uh, is running extremely strong here, but uh, it's fantastic, and it's it's been uh, it's been a fun uh, couple of weeks here, with the exception of last night, as I was uh, watching my cubbies just completely peter out and pull a Mets. For the yeah. better part of the past month, really, I mean, just could not get any runs. But it's been awesome to uh, to watch the Cubs and uh, to kind of just you know be with my be with my newborn here. So that's uh, an exciting, fun thing. But it's obviously October, and we're getting closer to college hoop season. So that's a great thing too. But uh, most of all, just happy to be doing the podcast again. Uh, does the fact that you wanted a girl make you resent your second son? Not even close. I actually like the fact that I have two boys. I, I, I don't know if we'll have a third or not. So I like that um, my older son, Carter, uh, if we're only going to have two, I think I'd prefer to have the same the same gender. So, you, you know, you grow up with, as brothers as opposed to a boy and a girl. Um, if we do eventually go for a third, which I don't know if we do or not, I will be absolutely pulling uh, to have a girl there, but uh, but we'll wind up seeing. But Alex wound up winning for the name. Um, that was my wife's uh, winning pick here. Um, a, a beat out Luke was my choice, and then we also considered Grant and Everett. And uh, and so, yeah, that wound up being it. Real quick, though, so get this. And I, I do want listener feedback on this as well, and I want you to be honest with me too. So... Um, he was born on September 13th, so uh, September 12th. So we, we picked the names for each boy and girl. And doing this not knowing that we would have the child the next day, the, he came early. He, he was earlier than the scheduled C-section. And so, um, so we picked the names, and we were going to go with Heidi 
for a girl because Heidi, you know, I, I, I referenced the social security list. It's it's like consistent. You can look at the the pattern of, of name popularity. Heidi has been chilling in the 300s for like 60 years in terms of how popular it is overall. It never gets into the top 100. It never drifts down into the seven or 800s. I was like, you know what? That's common enough, but not, uh, not crazy common. Heidi Norlander. It's got a very Swedish vibe to it. My wife and I totally loved it. So we have the boy. We have Alex. And then... Um, you know, our parents, our friends start asking us, you know, if it was a girl, what was it going to be? And I was like, you know what? I loved Daphne. My wife shot it down. Um, so we you can't want- do Daphne. It's I, Scooby-Doo. I know. You, you, I, you, your daughter be called Scooby-Doo her whole I, life. I know. We are. This is now a coda to the previous podcast. I know. But regardless, I still love the name Daphne. So um, so then all of, all of our family and many of our friends were like, oh, God, Heidi is just horrible, hideous. If we knew three people who hate Heidi's that they already know. So, so we got to talking. We're like, if we had actually had a girl, and we named it Heidi, would we be getting honest feedback like this? Probably not. So it's good that uh, it's good that we didn't. But we would hope that our family would be like, you know, within 24 hours, be like, let's just let's rethink this whole thing. So uh, we were completely unaware. Then again, it's our kids. So who you know, who the hell cares? If we want to name it, what well, we want to name it, so be it. But what are your what are your thoughts on Heidi here? Do you side with uh, most of the people in our life, or do you think that Heidi Norlander, you know, if it had been a girl, does that got a decent ring to it? Yeah, I don't mind it at all. Um, I, I think of Heidi Klum. Heidi, wasn't there a Heidi on the Hills? Did you ever watch the Hills? I, I cannot say that I have. I think there was a Heidi. Yeah, there was a Heidi and Spencer. So Heidi from the Hills, and Heidi Klum, and. I think that's about it yeah. that pops into my head. I don't mind Heidi at all. I like that. You know what I would have done if it was a girl for you? Fire Alex. I actually, that's the thing, GP. You know I, what? Like Ke- Kelly yes. and I, when we were discussing names before we knew what we were going to have if uh, on the on the list for girl names, not boy names. I didn't want a boy named Alex, but I liked a girl named Alex. I like... I like girl names for boys and boy names for girls. We never actually executed that with our sons, but I liked Alex for a uh, for a girl. I'm with you. I, I, that was in my top ten girl names, Alex for a girl. My wife didn't like it at all. And it's kind of like how I like Skylar for a boy, but not spelled like S-K-Y-L-A-R. I like the super old school S-C-H-U. And my wife's like, no, we're not doing that. But anyway, I'm right there with you. I like when, um, like, I like Dylan for a girl. When you just, when you, when you throw the, the traditional names out for one gender, you give it to the other. I'm, I'm totally on board with you there. So, uh, all right. At the, uh, so just to, um, ensure we do not do another baby name podcast back to back, uh, we'll move on, but, uh, congratulations. And I'll seriously, I know you've been busy, but it's nice to, nice to have you back. Nice to be back, uh, recording the Ion college basketball podcast. So the big news is, um, that this week, the trials connected to the college basketball scandal that featured 10 men getting arrested and charged with federal crimes last September, uh, they started this week, and opening statements in Jim Gatto's trial were uh, especially interesting. Basically, we now know that uh, Jim Gatto, and I'm assuming uh, Merle Code will be the same way, and perhaps Christian Dawkins the same way, um, Jim Gatto's not going to deny that he did what he's accused of doing. He's merely going to argue, or his, att- his attorneys are, uh, that he broke NCAA rules, not committed federal crimes. Uh, his attorney actually said in the opening statements uh, yesterday, um, and her name is uh, Casey Donnelly, she said NCAA rules were broken when we are not going to waste your time pretending these families did not get funds. Jim Gatto broke NCAA rules, but NCAA rules 
are not laws. And this is, a, I think, um, an interesting defense, if not unexpected, because if they were going to go to trial, this is the way that you had to, to argue it. And, and people had pointed this out, myself included, several times over the past several months, that uh, the defense is not going to be that we didn't do what we're accused of doing because, like, you're caught. Um, the defense is going to be, but it's not a crime. And where this gets interesting is that um, there are smart legal minds who have debated for a year now whether what the people involved here actually did is is a federal crime. And the way that the prosecution is the, – the only way they can argue that it is a crime, and perhaps not the only way, but the way that they've argued that it's a crime is that they've labeled the universities involved as victims. In other words, uh, the argument from the prosecution side is that Jim Gatto defrauded Kansas or Louisville or NC State, and he defrauded them by compromising student-athletes that they were going to enroll, and then those student-athletes would be ineligible, and it would it would cost the university that the university was a victim. Uh, what Gatto was arguing, and I think reasonably so, is that get out of my face with this, like they're a victim. I, I wasn't working in the shadows. I, I was working for them. I was doing what they asked me to do. Um, there is no victim here. Everybody got what they wanted. I wanted high-profile players at Adidas schools. Uh, the Adidas schools wanted, high wanted me to help them get high-profile players. And the high-profile players' families wanted to be compensated to go to a certain school. Everybody got what they wanted. There is no victim. And if there is no victim, there is no fraud. And if there is no fraud, I'm not guilty. I didn't commit a crime. I mean, that's basically where we're at right now, right, Norlander? Yeah, that's a large part of it. And for those uh, who want to also a, a good angle on, on what Tuesday brought about, Paris is obviously going to get into it a little bit more here on the podcast as well. But Paris has a column up about what makes this trial interesting and, and the fallout here. And we'll get to that in just a second. The, the opening statement um, was intriguing in that I did not expect – certain schools to get tossed out immediately in terms of being linked uh, to this. Schools that are not even um, under federal probe right now. To me, the most interesting part of Tuesday was that you did not have the prosecution. You had the defense bringing up Oregon, allegedly throwing out astronomical money to land Brian Bowen and, and you know putting out there that NC State paid Dennis Smith and his family a ton of money to go there. We can now say this. I, I, I feel comfortable saying this. Let, let, me, let me step before one second because I, I don't think that's actually what was said. I think what was said about Dennis Smith is that Gatto provided the family with $40,000 while he was at NC State. Right. Now, Dennis Smith going to NC State in college basketball circles when it was happening was – there was a ton of suspicion over that. Okay? But again, if you don't have the evidence, you don't have the proof – what so be it but from what yahoo reported and had the paperwork on back in in february to what we have here now regardless parish for the defense to come out 
and start naming names and making accusations against other schools. This wasn't the prosecution. It was the defense doing this because it's basically saying this is how things are working at the high major level. We know you have the receipts in the forms of of wiretaps in some cases, um, I believe even some video as well. And obviously the text messages that were that were captured as well. Um, So they know that there's no out that way. Like they they know that. So you're absolutely saying, yeah, this this happened. But NCAA rules are not federal law. They're not. They're not laws. Period. Um, just because we were benefiting one party to help another doesn't mean that necessarily we were breaking federal law. And this case is is flimsy on those grounds. We'll see if they have success on that or not. I will say this: it is intriguing to me that federal cases that get to this level. I don't have the exact figure but i remember when this all came out i believe michael mccann at si had the had the had the figure on this some some months back when you wrote about it but when you get to this level at a federal case and it's this you know a case of this kind of purview the conviction rate is like 95 percent. like it's in it's ridiculously high it might even be higher than that but at the same time and i was talking with a coach on tuesday night who has uh i mean i can't give the coach up but he he was notified that he was caught on uh, a wiretap um amid this FBI investigation, um, you know, he pointed out that that while that is true, there's never really been a case like this before. So the super high conviction rate isn't necessarily going to mean that you're going to see the defendants in this case. And then the assistants, those cases don't even start into that, their particular case, the other three assistants, um, not including Chuck Person, who has his own. They'll start in 2019, even after the season's over. Um, but since you've got such a different type of trial here, um, it might be a, a, a bit foolish to assume that because uh, the conviction rate in, in tr- federal trials of this kind parish have gone uh, toward the way of the Department of Justice and the prosecution doesn't necessarily mean that will be the case here. It'll be extremely intriguing what happens on that end. And then as I volley it back to you, the Oregon stuff is obviously the juiciest thing here when you've got the defense saying, you know, my client was looking to level the playing field offer $100,000 on behalf of Adidas um, to try and lure Brian Bowen Jr. to to get to Louisville. And in doing so, he's offsetting uh, what the market was, in particular what Oregon was offering out there. There were other schools that Bowen had on his his top five list, uh, including Creighton, Michigan State, uh, DePaul, um, I believe we have a quote that that has come out in the past 24 hours saying that Michigan State was absolutely not trying to buy Bowen under no circumstances, which is interesting because Michigan State was the most local team to Bowen where he grew up in Michigan. That's also where Dawkins is from. So you've got a lot of interesting elements here in Oregon for its part. Released a statement on Tuesday saying, we've never been contacted by the federal authorities. We're going to monitor this case. Um, But as it pertains to what the uh, defense alleged here, we have not been involved whatsoever on this uh, in any matter. I will also note, Parrish, though, that Oregon did not announce that it was starting any type of internal or external investigation at this point. We'll see if that changes in the coming days, whether or not Oregon's name gets brought into this even further as the trial continues. Well, first, I think you and I probably talked to the same coach last night, <laughs> and because um, I, I talked to somebody who said a, a, a lot of similar things, and, and it's exactly right. Like um, the 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 conviction rate is incredibly high, above ninety percent. But this case is 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 very different, and right from the jump, people have n- nobody's ever debated whether these things go on or went on. The debate has been okay, but are they federal crimes? 
there's they're clearly NCAA violations, but are they federal crimes? Um, for instance, one of the points Casey Donnelly made yesterday, uh, points she made, was that NCAA rules are a little bit like uh, apartment complex rules. Um, for instance, uh, in my neighborhood, we're not allowed to have our garbage cans visible. They, they cannot be visible from the street in any way. You keep them in your backyard, you keep them in your garage, but they cannot be visible. And uh, if they are, what happens to you? <laughs> Well, I don't get charged with a crime. Like I, I, I might get a letter from the neighborhood association saying, "Come on, Parrish, put your put your garbage cans up, right?" And then if you continue to do it, they they might actually fine you something. Okay. But uh, but but like the cops aren't going to show up. Like it's not a crime to have your garbage cans visible. It, it, but it, it would be in violation of my neighborhood association rules. Um, same thing here. At least that's what the argument is. It, it is it is undeniably against NCAA rules for Jim Gatto to do what Jim Gatto acknowledges he did. But it is not a federal crime. And the reason it's not a federal crime is because there is no victim. He did not uh, defraud anybody. In fact, he was working hand-in-hand with college basketball coaches who were asking for his help. They were not defrauded. They were assisted. Everybody got out of this deal exactly what they wanted. Jim wanted high-profile players at Adidas schools. The Adidas schools wanted Jim's help, and the families wanted money. No victim. Everybody got what they wanted. And when you try to argue that, you know, keep in mind, they're not arguing this to a, 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 a committee of athletic directors. Uh, they're arguing it to a jury that largely has n- no concept of NCAA athletics, of, of college basketball, of uh, amateurism. And so, I, you know, I, I think it was Dan Wetzel who was, was tweeting about this. Like, the jury pool is like, it ain't me and you on that jury no, no. or anybody listening right. to this podcast on that jury. They're just people who don't know anything about anything. And when you try to argue to them um, or make the case to them that, hey, listen, what he did was in, was in violation of these rules that most people don't even agree with to begin with. But it wasn't a crime. There was no victim. I think that reson. I think it can resonate. I think it's it's a it's 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 a defense that just might work. Um, I and, and which is why, is sort of the point I make in, in the column that I wrote yesterday, like who cares about Jim Gatto? Thirteen months ago, nobody outside of really tight basketball circles knew who Jim Gatto was. Like whether Jim Gatto is guilty of federal crimes and serves prison time is important to Jim Gatto and his family and his friends. But, like, it really doesn't matter to anybody else. What matters is what happens to everybody else, these college basketball programs that millions of people care about. And the point I make in the column is the collateral damage here from Jim Gatto's trial is much more interesting than what actually happens to Jim Gatto. Because just in the opening statements, as you point out, um, Gatto's attorney says, yes, he paid $100,000, agreed to pay $100,000 to Brian Bowen's family, but only after Oregon offered an astronomical number. He was just leveling the playing field. Now Oregon's roped in. I don't know whether they'll be able to prove Oregon offered an astronomical number, but it was said in court yesterday. And he says, yes, he gave $40,000 to Dennis Smith's family. So that's bad news for NC State, and that's bad news for Mark Gottfried. You know, Mark's now the head coach at Cal State Northridge. It was a little weird when he got that job, considering this cloud was hovering. Cal State Northridge was like, 
well, we've looked into it and we feel like he's at risk of nothing. Well, now, at the very least, he was the coach of a program whose player, uh, was whose family, best player's family, was paid $40,000 by an Adidas executive. Like that, according to an Adidas executive. So, like, you know, sort through that however you want. Uh, Gatto also says that, yes, yes, he paid $20,000 to somebody connected to Silvio D'Souza to get him to go to Kansas, but only after Under Armour had already paid $20,000 to get him to go to Maryland. So now Under Armour's wrapped up in this thing. Maryland, we already knew, was wrapped up in this thing. But I, I can't imagine Silvio D'Souza is going to play college basketball again. I mean, when, when you got an Adidas executive admitting, yes, this is what I did. I don't know how the NCAA doesn't rule him ineligible. And beyond that, he played in the Final Four last year. Yeah. You think Kansas is going to have to vacate? Uh, I, I would, I I would assume, assume so. Parrish, I don't see how that doesn't happen. And something to keep in mind as, we, as this trial, which is expected to last anywhere from three to four weeks, could be done by Halloween. We'll see. Remember... The new rules put forth. These are these are now on the books, and we did a podcast, you know, months or so ago about this. The NCAA can now, in its own investigations, take right. things discovered by legitimate outside investigative bodies and use them toward their own investigation without having to further probe. So, the, here's my thing, though: what gets said in court, and then what does the NCAA use to adjudicate things? For example. You mentioned Oregon. If this just gets continually tossed out, but we don't have... Okay, who did it? Who was offering the money? Who, who are the people tied to that? Okay? And do you have a specific money amount? Do you have a timeline? Do you have anything? If you don't, then if you're an Oregon fan, I would think that you're going to be at worst punished, but at best probably probed by the NCAA at some point, but maybe there can't ever be anything proven there. So it's a matter of what gets played out in court, and then what the NCAA deems legitimate enough to say, okay, no, you know what, what we what we saw there at this first trial, this is going to be enough for us to levy some sort of sanctions. That's what's going to be intriguing to me because you're right. There's going to be a, a lot of collateral damage here, and we're going to find out and hear more. Witnesses are going to provide very interesting testimony. It's a matter of how much clout those witnesses have and what's put forth by the prosecution via wiretaps or any other uh, things that have come up through their own investigations that are deemed appropriate for the court and for the jury and what the judge allows and what the NCAA takes from that. Uh, I, I would have to believe that there are actual NCAA representatives um, on the task force or as a member of the COI, a Committee on Infractions, that are attending these hearings on a daily basis. Yeah, the other big uh, note from the opening statement was Arizona was willing to pay $150,000 to get Nasir Little. So Sean Miller's got questions to uh, to answer now. Like, we already know um, that Book Richardson was committing major NCAA rules violations while recruiting. Um, well, here, you know, if it was proven that Arizona is somebody on a wiretap from Arizona saying, hey, we can do 150 for Nasir Little. If so, that's that's big problems. You know, that they like... And and so all of this is going to to presumably come out uh, over the next few weeks. And you're exactly right. Though yesterday it was just Oregon was willing to do this, Arizona was willing to do this. I would assume the specifics, the details, uh, come out in the in the coming weeks. And that's where I, I think these programs and these the people who run these programs, um, you know, could be facing some some big issues. Uh, for instance, when they say Oregon offered an astronomical number. You know, we don't know what that means yet, but but I'm assuming we'll find out. 
okay, was it Nike on behalf of Oregon? Was it Dana Altman? Was it an Oregon booster? Was it an Oregon assistant? Like who, who, who from Oregon was offering an astronomical number? Um, but it seemed like you know, Brian Bowen's father, who has been granted immunity from prosecution, is going to take the stand. Like they're going to ask him all kinds of questions. Yeah. Because what they're trying to do is paint a picture accurately, I, I think, that, hey, this is the way things got done. Jim Gatto wasn't out there like a, a lone wolf just throwing tens of thousands of dollars around. Jim Gatto was just trying to level the playing field for the Adidas schools because – and this is essentially what they're saying, because you had to if you were competing with the Nike schools and the Under Armour schools. Like, I, I don't know that this is what they'll say, but this is kind of what they're saying. We didn't want to go have to give $100,000 to get Brian Bowen to go to Louisville, but if we didn't, uh, he was going to go to a Nike school because somebody connected to a Nike school was doing it. And we didn't want to have to give $20,000 to Sylvia D'Souza to go to Kansas, but if we didn't, he was going to go to an Under Armour school. Because Under Armour had already given him $20,000. They are trying to paint the picture that this is the way college basketball recruiting goes. It is, um, it's been that way for a while. It didn't start with Jim Gatto. Probably won't end with Jim Gatto. And, um, and, and, there, and everybody was a willing participant. No, there are no victims here. Everybody was a willing participant. And I think... Um, I think that can resonate with a with a jury, but again, like, what's Brian Bowen's father going to say when he takes the stand? Like, I would assume they're going to ask him who else offered money yes, for your son. I that's got to be asked. That's that's coming, and <laughs> and and he's got no reason to lie. In fact, Correct. he's got every reason not to lie. Yep. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, what did this school say? What could you get done with from this school? What could you get done from this school? Who did you talk to? Who did they talk to? Like that when T.J. Gasnola, who was Gatto's right hand man, like what's he going to be asked on that stand? Is it is it going to be okay? Did you did you deliver a bag to DeSouza's people? Okay, did Bill Self know about that? Did Curtis Townsend know about that? Like the, like these are the types of questions I'm assuming are going to be um, asked, and those answers might not lead to criminal problems for the staffs at Oregon or Kansas or Arizona or Maryland, but they could lead to big NCAA problems and job problems for those staffs. And I think uh, if I were, if I were involved in any program that was named in that opening statement yesterday, I'd be a little nervous right now because it's probably not going to get better for you. It's probably going to get worse. Yeah, and in fact, I'm in the midst of, uh, you know, we do this hot seat thing every year. Uh, it's kind of nature of the beast. Don't love doing it, but fact is, every year, college football, college basketball, there are coaches um, whose jobs are, are, you know, they're potentially on the line with, with performance in the season ahead. But, I mean, as I'm building this out, Parrish, and I'm thinking last night, I'm like, you know, I understand that Arizona's administration stood behind Sean Miller, but how is how is he still not on the hot seat? And in some way, like with Kansas being roped in like this, like how is Bill Self's job not at least up for some curious discussion as it pertains to this case and what might have been done on behalf of Adidas for Kansas to begin with? It, it's it it is interesting. Now I I don't know how many more head coaches are going to lose their jobs because of this. The trial, certainly there's the potential for that. 
for a lot of information to come out and for the NCAA to eventually, it's still not doing anything, by the way. The FBI has, has advised the NCAA to stand down on its investigations until these trials uh, finish. So, again, I know we've mentioned this on past podcasts. This is going to be something that just, it's going to creep along in some ways for years um, because of the nature of how long these trials will take and then what the NCAA will do afterward. Um, I'll be interested to see how many other schools come up. Um, should note that there are no major college coaches that are getting called to the stand. That's not in the cards for this trial. So you will not be seeing Sean Miller, Bill Self, Dana Altman, you name it, you name the coach. These guys, Patino, like they're not going to be called to the stand. So their testimony um, won't be in play here, uh, which is probably ultimately a good thing for them because I do believe that if there was a real reason for them to have legitimate concern and worry. Uh, I think they'd be more prominently uh, displayed on the witness list. That's not the case. Here's one more thought I had, Parrish. You know, you mentioned Silvio D'Souza, Brian Bowen. These were good prospects. These were not one-and-done prospects. These were not top five elite prospects, you know, almost surefire lottery prospects. Potentially Nasir Little, but I will also say that the FBI cleared Nasir Little and his family from any sort of wrongdoing here. That kind of stuff was being done uh, beyond the scope of the family's knowledge. They vehemently denied all of this when it came out. Parents on the record, the whole deal, and it uh, it came to be known that... Um, you know, the people around Little, you know, grassroots coach and, and shoe company representatives were more trying to uh, trying to work a deal there. Um, but for the most part, these are not elite players. It just makes you think sometimes, I'm not breaking new ground here, but, you know, why? You're paying this much money to get Brian Bowen? Like, really? It just shows you how the underground black market economy for getting talent can just get to a certain level where it's it's cutthroat and shoe company representatives or people trying to get paid if these guys make the NBA or yeah, in some cases, coaching staffs know that the difference between getting this player versus that player, you know what? It might mean the difference between 18 and 23 wins, which could mean the difference between tournament or not, or it could be the difference between a five seed and a two seed. And that's the difference between winning two games and winning four games in the NCAA tournament. So that's a lot of the calculus that can go into this. Um, and without a doubt, this trial is going to put on display a lot of, what we've known has gone on for so long in college sports, and I'm as this all happens, I'm <laughs> I wonder what uh, the people in the college football community think, and if uh, its sport was on trial like this, what we might find. But um, regardless, I do think it will be pretty interesting. Almost daily, uh, we should be getting some some intriguing updates and. Um, uh, as we talk about this more as the month goes along and we podcast weekly here, um, we'll be interested to see how this trial wraps up, what the verdicts are, and then I would think that it, once it wraps up, I mean, this should be ending just as the season is starting, so it's going to be interesting to transition from this to the actual game starting and see how those things connect. Um, yeah, I mean, I've said that from the jump about Brian Bowen. Like, if we know that Brian Bowen's family had a deal in place for $100,000, like it's nonsensical to assume that the the twenty dudes ranked ahead of Brian Bowen in his in his class, um, some of them, uh, you know, weren't compromised as well. You'd have to be pretty naive to subscribe to that. And though a hundred thousand dollars is a is a big number, keep in mind, and I know you know this, this ain't coming out of some coach's pocket. It's coming from Adidas. A hundred thousand dollars to Adidas is nothing. Like it's pennies. And so uh, that's why, like. 
Adidas is happy to pay $100,000 to get you know, a five-star prospect to go to Louisville because um, in basketball, you only need a few of them to be a Final Four contender. If you could get, if you could get three of them for a total of $300,000 and immediately turn yourself into a preseason top-10 team, like that, that's, that's a good investment for Adidas, um, long as you don't get caught, of course. But um, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, the, by the time you're listening to this, by the way, like some new details could have come out. Uh, this is a, a case, a trial that's uh, happening in a, a courtroom in Lower Manhattan. You know, a, every day now, new things will come out every day. Um, but it'll be interesting to to watch it unfold. They say it's going to take about a month, the trial. Uh, to watch it unfold on a day-by-day basis because though you're exactly right, Bill Self, Sean Miller, Rick Patino, Mark Turgeon, Dana Altman aren't going to be called to testify. Um, their names are probably going to come up in some form, and um, um, it'll be interesting to see in, in what form they, they come up. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be not with SeatGeek, and that's because SeatGeek searches – multiple ticket sites for you that way you know you're getting the best prices the best seats the best value find what you want two clicks later like really just two clicks later you're you're buying tickets it is easy stuff for instance my wife and i i bounced down to atlanta about a month ago to see jay-z and beyonce at mercedes-benz stadium and i got our tickets via SeatGeek. it took like a minute 12th row seats great prices had a blast by the time i the concert day of what I had paid for those tickets on SeatGeek um, just a few weeks earlier, like they, it had tripled, like the prices had tripled. So I got great value, great seats, and, and we had a blast. So next time you need tickets to anything, and I mean anything, not just a concert, but a basketball game, NBA season, uh, preseason is underway, uh, college basketball coming up, college football going on right now, NFL going on right now. Anytime you need tickets to anything, you open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB because uh, if you use that promo code COLLEGEBB, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Recruiting news from yesterday, Norlander. Scotty Lewis, five-star wing, committed to Florida. They already got a commitment from a five-star point guard, Trey Mann. So right now you go to 24-7 Sports. Florida's got the number four class uh, in 2019 at this moment. I think you made the point on Twitter, like Mike White is is proven to be the perfect uh, uh, person to, to replace Billy Donovan. It is not easy to replace a legend. Ask anybody who's ever tried to replace John Calipari at UMass or, or, or Memphis. But Mike's done about as well as you could reasonably hope to do. Been at Florida now three years. He's starting his fourth season you know, uh, uh, next month. He's gotten to two NCAA tournaments, won at least 21 games each season, Elite Eight in 2017, round of 32 last season, should be back in the NCAA tournament this season, top 20 recruiting class in 2018, got a top five recruiting class uh, right now. It seems to be working out. Working out in a big way. This sets up well for the future. And then for this season, yeah, I mean, we're in the process of building out our top 101 list. I'm, <laughs> I'm geeking out way too much on this. But I expect them, Jalen Hudson for sure, and then Kevon Allen. Like they, Those are both top 100 players in college basketball. So you got two top 100 guys off a team last year that was pretty solid. Yeah, Florida should again be an NCAA tournament team. And then you bring in a really good class for, for the year coming up. And you beat out Kentucky for Scotty Lewis. Scotty Lewis is an interesting prospect. He has been identified as an elite eventual NBA player for what seems like at least four years now. Um, Mike White and his staff chased for a long time 
line. And to be honest, you know, St. John's was in there real good because of where Lewis grew up in Jersey. Um, Mike Rice coached his grassroots team, and there was uh, just a, a natural connection. St. John's was in there tight. And just a quick aside on St. John's, you know, they should be pretty talented this year. And they should be, in my opinion, with, with their talent, Parrish, that should be a top three team in the Big East and what's going to be a relatively down year for the Big East. Let's say they aren't, though. Let's say they're, okay, they're top five. Maybe they just come a little bit short, okay? Well, you don't get Scotty Lewis and say the next year you sputter. I'm telling you, it's just stuff like this that can make a, a three- to four-year difference on a program. If you're St. John's and you land Scotty Lewis, it completely changes things for you in recruiting for the outlook of your program. They don't get him. Keep an eye on St. John's over the next year or two. See if Mullen and his staff can uh, can find some success despite that. And if they don't, um, I think not landing Lewis might wind up being a, a key component to where things just pivoted a little bit the wrong way. Meanwhile, Mike White beats out John Calipari for a top 12, top 10 prospect. Um, Scotty Lewis, I would almost think, will be a one and done. He's interesting because he does a lot of things really well, but he's not a great scorer at this point. Um, but very long, rangy, really smart kid. Um, I think he'll fit in very, very well. I would think that when we do our top 101 players going into next season, Scotty Lewis would be on that list. I, I do have a lot of confidence in his ability to step into college and be an impact player relatively quickly. So, Big gains for Florida, which also just makes the SEC, again, just that more interesting. The league was really up last year. It should be pretty good again this year. If you can get teams like Mississippi State to end their NCAA tournament drought, Florida's still going to be good if Kentucky winds up being the best team in the country this season. This is just good for the SEC overall. Kentucky fans obviously frustrated that you not only miss out on, on a five-star player and a guy who I would think would start for UK next season, but you lose out to Florida, and this is... From a recruiting standpoint, although you know White has been building a really good class, I think the the Lewis commitment it, it firmly establishes the Gators again as a as a premier player uh, within the five star realm. Okay, if Florida's beating out Kentucky for guys, and Kentucky very much wanted Lewis, then I, I think that's extremely notable nationally from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and yeah, I, listen. Mike White's done about as good as you could, re as you said, reasonably expect. He came really close to making a Final Four. He's gone to the tournament two or three years. Even his first year was reasonably decent for um, for his entry point. They make the tournament again this year. He's done about as well as you could possibly expect, and that's why, uh, in particular, we targeted him as a guy. You know, we did our uh, Who's Next series at the at the six schools that have current Hall of Fame coaches. You know, if Mike White is able to not even make win a national championship, but make a Final Four, just keep Florida in the top 25 conversation almost annually, then yes, I think that it is inevitable that he will be down the path of Billy Donovan and that, um, you know, he could be sought after by top five programs. Potentially, maybe even the NBA gives him a look down the road. But in the short term here, Florida is looking really, really good. Scotty Lewis in the fold. And the Gators seem to have locked up a top 10 class at worst and potentially a top five class for 2019. Just real quick on the SEC, the league in general, not just Kentucky, but the league in general has been recruiting well in recent years. And you're starting to see the results of that. Like that league's going to be awesome this year. I mean, think about this. Vanderbilt's got two five-star freshmen. It might not even finish in the top six in the league, yeah. Because Kentucky is is the you know the, the number one in the top twenty five and one. Tennessee preseason top five team bring everybody back from the SEC championship team. Uh, uh, I've got Auburn in the top ten. I think LSU is going to be tremendous. You I mean bring back Tremont Waters and add two five star freshmen? Mississippi State is going to be good. I've got them in the top twenty five and one. Florida 
I have just outside of the top 25 and one, but you could reasonably put them in. And then there's Vanderbilt sitting there with, you know, two five-star freshmen. Uh, Missouri's got Jonte Porter back. Um, you know, Arkansas, I don't know, will be very good, but they got a lottery pick and Daniel Gafford. I mean, there's some real players uh, in, in this league now, and um, I think it's going to be one of the, the, the better leagues in the country. Like, I think it'll be as good as it's been in a long, long time. Yeah, it should be. It's been more than a decade since uh, the SEC ranked as a top three league in Ken Palm. Um, it's got a chance to do that, in particular, in my opinion, because the Big East isn't, isn't, shouldn't be as good. Uh, the Big Ten probably shouldn't be as good. I was giving the Big Ten a, a look while I was on paternity leave, just trying to figure out how that conference is going to shake out. And it's looking right now like it's going to be Michigan State, a little bit of a gap, um, and then kind of Michigan, probably, maybe Purdue. We'll see how awesome Carson Edwards is with the pieces around him. Anyway, that's uh, that's preseason stuff that we're obviously going to get to in the coming weeks as well. But uh, but the SEC, yes, it should be a, a major factor. And in, I would be surprised if we got to the first week of March and there weren't at least seven teams in the conversation to make the tournament. Not necessarily that they'll get seven, but I think minimum seven if things go as they should with uh, with the coaches and the talent they have in that league. Yes, if you're an SEC fan or root for any of those programs, I would expect a, a pretty good 2018-19. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Remember to subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably. Five stars, nice comments. It only takes like a few seconds. Surely you can find a few seconds in your day to pop over to Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a five-star rating and leave nice comments. That's all we ask. We're going to be back on a regular schedule now uh, that uh, Norlander is is off of paternity leave, and we will be doing one podcast uh, a week in the preseason. And then once the season gets here, we'll be back to three times a week rocking and rolling. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Till then, take care.